Women in White Coats is here to uplift women doctors just like you. Empowering you in your personal and professional life. I'm Dr. Amber Robbins. And I'm Dr. Archana Shrestha. We are doctors, best-selling authors, and the co-founders of Women in White Coats. Now, are you ready for a culture shift where women empower women? Join us to get a glimpse of what life is like as a woman doc. And guess what? You'll discover that you're not alone. We're here to give you positivity and keys to balancing your life. This is the Women in White Coats podcast. Welcome to the Women in White Coats podcast. This is Dr. Archana, co-founder of Women in White Coats. In this episode, listen in on a panel discussion that was part of our 2020 Women in White Coats Virtual Conference and Wellness Retreat. The title of this panel is Thinking Outside the Box, Beyond Clinical Medicine, and features four women doctors who are doing unique things with their medical degrees. You will hear from Dr. Mary Mason, an entrepreneur, Dr. Geetha Nair, a chief medical officer, And also from Dr. Kimberly Brown and Dr. Amber Robbins, who have been doing a lot of medical media work. This panel discussion is hosted by Dr. Kat Ogle, an emergency physician and co-author of the Chronicles of Women in White Coats 2. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to register for our free Women in White Coats virtual summit, Women Docs Thinking Outside the Box, which will run from August 31st through September 4th. To learn more, go to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash virtual summit. Enjoy the episode. For those of you who don't know, I'm Kat Ogle. I'm your panel uh, moderator today, and I am an emergency physician at George Washington University in Washington, D.C., and I'm very excited to share the morning with you and to uh, chat with these amazing, uh, well-established uh, ladies. So I would love to have you guys introduce yourselves. Uh, maybe we'll start with Dr. Gita Nayar. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did, thanks Kat. Good morning, everybody. Um, so wonderful to be with you guys this Saturday. If you're like me, you're balancing your household with the conference and with life in general for, for a good bit now. So. First, just want to say thank you to Kat, thank you to Archana, thank you guys so much for the invitation and for having us on. It would have been lovely to do it in person, but maybe that'll be you know next time around. Um, my my background, I'm a rheumatologist trained at GW actually with Archana. Um, I built my career really in health tech. I'm the chief medical officer for Greenway Health, a EHR company, and I know you guys all hate your EHR. My job is to make it suck less. <laughs> um, I still practice part-time. I'm based in Miami, and so I'm a volunteer faculty at University of Miami, and I have an eight-year-old daughter who um, gives me a run for my money every day. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. My son is also eight, so I feel you. <laughs> Tons of energy. Uh, Dr. Kimberly Brown, please uh, share with us where, who you are and where you're coming from. So my name is Dr. Kimberly Brown. I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but now I'm living in Memphis, Tennessee, where I did my uh, emergency medicine training here as a part of the first class of emergency medicine residents at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. 
here. So now I practice in the community um, and I've done a bunch of other random things um, since I've graduated from residency too. So happy to be on here. I'm trying to get back on a normal person's schedule. So if my voice is a little bit raspy, I'm used to kind of sleeping in a little bit this last week because I've been off. So I'm glad to be here this morning. We are so happy to have you. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And finally, our illustrious leader, <laughs> the hostess with the mostess, uh, Dr. Amber Robbins. Hi, good morning. And by the way, Dr. Brown is under as understating herself, but we'll get into that, I'm sure, later on. But anyway, I'm Dr. Amber. I'm one of the co-founders for Women in White Coats. And I'm also, my day job is being a family doctor here in D.C., uh, I have done a lot of interesting things because they give me a lot of energy. Um, so I have done media. I did my fellowship at Georgetown with PBS NewsHour. Um, love publishing books, love really elevating other people so that they can see their greatness. Uh, so I'm so excited to be a part of the panel and back to Kat. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I forgot to, uh, talk about the name of the panel today, but really we are talking about thinking outside the box of clinical medicine. And we're certainly happy to take questions from the audience, just put them in the chat box and I'll be moderating that. Um, but I wanna start with a question, when did you realize that you as a doctor um, think outside the box of clinical medicine? So I'd love to start with uh, Dr. Nayar. Sure, um, you know, I think for me, I, you know, I come from a medical family and so going into medicine was really just what I grew up with. So I would say that um, being a doc was just always something, it just really is truly what I always wanted to, to be. Um, as far as thinking outside of the box, what, you know, when you come from a medical family, I think you just appreciate the dysfunction much earlier in your career than, you know, because I'm surrounded by people um, in my family that's like, oh, that, you know, that administrator or um, the payer or just, you know, all the different stakeholders that we all know all too well, right? Make, make healthcare complicated. So for me, it was really early. I mean, it was really early. I did an MBA during my fellowship, uh, suicide mission, don't recommend it, but it's really very much paid for when you're a fellow, which is kind of why I did it that way. Um, so really early, I mean, I would just say really early, I was always looking to talk to people who had MD, JDs, MD, MPHs, MD, MPAs. Like I always, I wasn't sure exactly what outside of the box I wanted to do. So a lot of my journey was exploring and talking to folks. Um, and then I, you know, again, I, I landed in health tech more by happenstance than anything else. But it was really just surrounding myself with people and trying to understand the, the landscape because I always felt like one-on-one -on -one patient care was wonderful and I enjoy it, but I really wanted to make an impact. So for me, it was about being able to make like a, a, a impact that could scale across the industry. Awesome, thank you so much for sharing your journey and how smart to get it paid for, right? by uh <laughs> women fellowship. have to think about that stuff it's not fun yeah. debt and loans so yeah you gotta be smart dr mason we're so happy to see you and uh let's see uh there we go can you hear me now yes uh, all right very yeah. good thank you i apologize i think i am the black cloud of it so so thank you so much so for uh, no problem um, we're so happy that you're here um, please, Dr. Mason, we've already done introductions, but I would love to have you give yourself uh, a brief introduction for our, our uh, participants. Sure. So 
I'm Mary Mason. I'm an internist. Um, I'm also a mother of three. So I have a sophomore in college, a sophomore in high school, and a third grader. So I get the whole spectrum. And I uh, have had, um, I got my MBA back in um, when I was still doing my residency. And so I've been in the corporate world. Um, and then um, I've also most recently been working um, with my company, Little Medical School, which runs um, many medical schools, um, you know, nursing, pharmacy, um, all sorts of health careers for kids um, and franchised it in 2015. Um, and we're about 60 locations right now. That's so fantastic. I love the, the idea of uh, creating pipelines for folks that are interested in health careers. That's awesome. Um, so we had actually just started with our first question, which is when did you realize that you thought outside of the clinical box of medicine? So I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, for me? Yes. Okay. Um, you know, I always, I'm from a medical family as well. And, um, you know, my mother and father are both physicians. My siblings are. And being the youngest, it was one of those things that um, it's what I knew. And so I, I always knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I wanted to do something else. And I think doing the MBA gave me an opportunity to really look outside the box and really think differently. Because I think in medicine, um, we're so trained to follow clinical protocols and you know, you don't want to get too creative there. Um, that's when you get into trouble, whereas medicine really does let you think outside. And I think there's so many opportunities. And, and I think it was also some, a mentor telling me, it's okay not to see patients. And that's, some people feel guilty that they don't get to do that. And I think there's so many other ways that we can pos positively contribute to society and our communities using our medical degrees. And so I think once you get that go ahead, that's, that's when I think you're really allowed to really look and see all the opportunities. Awesome. Yeah, that, that don't harbor any guilt for doing what no, you're passionate about. Absolutely not. Many different ways to be a doctor, right? Dr. Brown, what about you? When did you start thinking outside the box? Dr. Brown, are you frozen? I think you're muted. Can you hear me? Yes, thank okay. you. Okay, yeah, I might have to switch scenery because I think I'm too far away from my router. So um, no, I, I didn't hear the question, I'm sorry. Am I answering no. the same question as everyone else is? Yeah, yeah, same question. When did you start thinking outside the box of clinical medicine? Um, so I will kind of say, maybe more so towards the end of residency, but the idea wasn't too far away from me um, the whole time I've been pursuing medicine. So I have, I did not come from a, a medical family. I'm the first doctor in my family. We have a couple of nurse practitioners, but no one is a physician in my family. So um, growing up in a single parent household, my mom was a hustler. And I do say a hustler, like she would have different jobs doing different things. And I feel like she could always find a way to create some sort of an opportunity to make money or do something. So fast forward um, until all the way when I'm starting residency and I was sitting down with one of my mentors and she kept asking me very early um, what did I want to do, like, after residency, like, because it was at the beginning of my second year, and 
he's like, okay, so what are you going to do when you finish? I'm like, well, I just got out of intern year, so I don't, I don't know. I'm just starting to figure out this whole doctor thing. But he was very much instrumental um, in influencing some of the things that I thought I could do as a doctor. Um, his name is Dr. Mark Brady. He's been um, known for, in the emergency medicine community for 24-7-365, that um, emergency medicine documentary, kind of documentary our history. And he was working on some other documentaries. He had his own film production company uh, where he wanted to tell medical stories. And I just thought that was so cool that he could do that. So he was the kind of the first one to kind of start jogging my mind um, and making me to realize that maybe I don't have to just go to fellowship or just see patients or, or what have you. So long story short, I almost, I was this close to doing a neurocritical care fellowship um, here in Memphis, but I decided to turn it down at the last minute. Um, and when I graduated from residency, it's like, okay, so you're a doctor, you've been working all these years to do that. So you've checked that box off in life. So what else are you going to do? Like, what else is on the list of things that you want to accomplish? So it's been something that's kind of been a slow roll. Like I knew that I could side hustle watching my mom. And then it, I really started thinking about it in medicine, working with my mentor. Um, and then it kind of just blossomed from there. What a beautiful story. I mean, to be the first doctor in your family, congratulations. That's such, such a, an amazing feat. And I'm sure you're so very proud of yourself. And, you know, it sounds so awesome to have not only your mom as a role model, as a hustler, as you said, but also to have really a solid mentor that sort of inspires you, a he for she, as we would call him. So that's awesome. Yes, so definitely. Dr. Dr. Robbins, mm -hmm. tell us, when did you start thinking outside the box? Uh, I was... <laughs> We started with born this way. So um, <laughs> I would say for a while, what it really stuck out to me though, when it really stuck out to me was actually my second year in medical school. And it was more so because my classmates were noticing that I was asking like random questions uh, in medicine. Um, like, oh, why is it that we have a slide deck that doesn't show um, all ethnicities? Uh, why is it that we don't have, you know, this or that? And I kept on asking those questions. And so eventually that led to me realizing that I always ask questions and then try to find a solution for them. So then over time that led to, oh, that's what an entrepreneur does. And also uh, we had a great experience. So I don't know if you all uh, use this, but uh, Visual DX, have you ever heard of Visual DX before? A lot of us use it um, when we see patients to try to help us narrow down our differential for dermatological um, diseases. So the guy from Visual DX, one of the creators, actually came to present to my medical school class while I was a medical student there. And he told us about the process of going from, you know, having this question, having knowing that there could be a way to give a solution. And I thought that was so amazing. Uh, I haven't done anything like that yet, but I just thought that was so amazing that he took the information that he knew and he was able to create something that's been helpful to me ever since I found out about it. 
And then later on, I went into residency. I still had all these questions. And then I started to bump into people. And I didn't think this would be an MBA uh, thing. I didn't know all, <laughs> I didn't think all of us would have that in common. And even if we don't, I know um, three of us have it. But in, uh, I got my MBA not necessarily um, because, oh, that's what I thought I would need to do. It was more so of mentoring as well for me to get that. And I also got mine in, in residency. Um, and so that piqued my interest even more and made me realize that, oh, yeah, I kind of do like doing certain things like that. And then on the media side of things, a lot of mentoring, just like uh, Dr. Brown was saying, mentoring is super important with that because a mentor tapped me and said, oh, I think you would be good on camera. And I'm like, first of all, I'm a resident and I'm tired as hell. And I don't feel like doing anything <laughs> other than eat, sleep, go to work. <laughs> and so uh, she influenced me to start doing uh, TV. At that time, I was in Rochester. And so we did the, I, I was on the local news. And then my program director was like, oh, you're so good at that. Let's see if you can do even more. And I'm like, okay, so how are we going to do this? And so uh, he actually found the information for me to do a rotation at ABC News in New York. And so I was a part of the medical unit there. And then I was like, oh, I, I like this. I, I have a knack for it, but I really don't know what to do with this within my career. And so thankfully, uh, Dr. Besser, who isn't on ABC anymore, I miss him. Uh, I, I love what they have now, but Dr. Besser is so sweet. He's like a program director at heart. Um, he was actually a program director in pediatrics long time ago. And so he really treated us like a program director at ABC. Um, while he got on the news, talked about different things, did national, local, wrote, all those types of things. And so I talked with him as well as others in the medical unit. And then they convinced me to then go <laughs> and apply for fellowship at Georgetown. So outside of that, so I just basically kind of fell into a lot of stuff. Um, and I find that whenever it's your passion, you, it kind of finds you. And so um, that's, that's how I realized you know, that clinical medicine is just a part of what I do, but it isn't everything that I do. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing it. It really sounds like serendipity is, is what uh, spoke to you in your heart and you've really found your way. So thank you so much for sharing. Uh, we do have some prepared questions, but we also have some awesome questions coming from the audience. So I just wanted to throw this one out there. Uh, Dr. Nayar, how did you get into the role of chief medical officer? As in, what are the key steps? And is there a roadmap or certain prerequisites? So there's definitely no roadmap. <laughs> I think we as physicians are so used to the roadmap. I, I think whenever you do anything outside of medicine, there is no roadmap. I mean, during Dr. Robbins' speech, you can see that there was no roadmap, right? I think that probably all of us are at a stage in our career where we realize that. Um, you know, I don't, even, I don't even know how to answer that question. Um, I will tell you that I remember being really young in my first non-clinical job and they made me a vice president. Um, I was underpaid, overworked, the whole thing. It felt like residency again. I actually thought about going back to residency. So I'm like, I'm actually making less than I was before and I did all this education. And um, so one of the things I fought for since I couldn't get compensated, they basically told me it's great that you're a doc, but we don't see patients here. So we can't compensate you for that. Like that's just, we're not, not going to be able to compensate you for that and you have no business skills so they kind of took a chance on me if you will and I, I appreciate that but I basically fought for a title change 
and I said, I think I'm your chief medical officer, I'm not your VP, because everyone else here was a VP, you know, everyone else, I sort of looked at my peer group, and I said, you know, this, this just doesn't work for me, this isn't going to help me, and I, again, I had no clue, there was no roadmap, um, but essentially, I fought for that title, and I made it again about the business, as opposed to myself, and then once I became a chief medical officer, I never took anything less, to be really frank, and then, of course, it was about building my experience, it was about having this niche sort of specialty in, in business and tech and being able to articulate um, as a doc, which is, which is hard, right? A lot of docs are either really good at the science or good at presenting very few or, are um, good at both. In technology, there are docs that are really good at geeking out in the engineering space and like you never want to put them in front of an audience, but you want them to be in the basement working on stuff because they're so good at it. Um, I like to do both. So I like to actually geek out with the engineers in the basement and then go upstairs and talk about it and sell it to the world. Um, one, because I'm a geek, and two, because it's much easier to articulate it when I actually understand it and build it. So um, it was that, I, I would say it's that niche that continues to make me successful as a CMO and to be seen as a CMO. Um, I'll also say that your own personal branding, what you do on social media, uh, being thoughtful about things like that, whatever you write, you know, always keeping in mind your credibility is really important um, because no matter what any of us do, being a physician is going to be core to that. So never never selling yourself cheap snake oil vitamins whatever it might be i think you have to just really do some soul searching on that but i think i've always towed the line of you know i'm a doc i'm not selling pharmaceuticals i'm not selling right i'm i'm doing solid work and, and that's what i want to be um that's what i want to be seen as and respected as if that makes sense so sorry that was long-winded but but truly there was definitely no road roadmap still still no roadmap <laughs> I think that that seems to be um, pretty common, you know, for, for people's paths, that there is no roadmap. But, you know, I really appreciate that you shared that you found a way to articulate your value to the people that were employing you and, and that you didn't take less. You're like, this is, this is how it's going to be. This is what I deserve. And, you know, kudos to you for that. Um, Second question from our audience is um, for everybody, and I would love to start with Dr. Brown. Um, how do you balance clinical practice with your work outside of clinical practice? Um, do you choose one over the other? Um, I guess it's a little bit easier for me because I am single and I don't have any children right now. <laughs> so I don't have to juggle as much of taking kids and taking care of someone else and kind of balancing everything. So I'm pretty lucky for, for now, for that standpoint, that I have a lot of time to myself. And luckily, emergency medicine, we're shift work. So usually when I'm not at work, I'm just not at work. There's nothing to do. I'm not charting. I'm pretty much able to compartmentalize, you know, work at work or clinical work at work and kind of my free time is my own personal free time. But yet and still, I'm still a procrastinator. <laughs> and I've been a procrastinator my whole life. I'm coming out to everybody as a procrastinator. So I have to make sure that I am scheduling things um, for time for myself, putting deadlines on the calendar when I want to get things done um, and just trying to schedule thing out, things out as much as in advance as possible. If I put it on the calendar, then I usually can't procrastinate about it. I have to like make little baby steps moving towards that. So being a little bit more thoughtful about my off time and making sure that I am delegating the time that things need to get make things happen is huge for me. And that's how I kind of juggle things. 
I live and die by my Google Calendar. If it's not on the calendar, it's not happening. Yeah, <laughs> or my Erin Condren. I have like a written planner sometimes too. So yeah, if it's not on my Google Calendar or written down in my planner, it didn't, it never happens, and it's yeah. not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know you also bring a really um, important point up about when you're working on a project, sort of breaking it up into baby steps. You know that that task management and that that project management is such an important piece when you're a leader and when you're doing such incredible and dynamic things. So thank you so much. Uh, Dr. Mason, please tell us how you balance it all. There we go. Um, you, I think scheduling um, is so important, but you know, the other thing too that, you know, I've um, found over the years is that I think often women are scared to ask for what they need to be successful. And I see, I've seen that in the corporate world, but even, you know, now that, you know, I'm moving more into, um, you know, my own business and really taking control of that, I, you know, you can make it all work. And I think especially today with, you know, technology and honestly, you know, doing things on Zoom and being at home, sometimes I almost feel like you're more productive because um, we're all really good multitaskers. But, but I do think that it is okay to be able to tell your employer um, or tell the business you're working with, this is what I need. And, you know, honestly, if it, you know, I know personally for me, you know, having a meeting not starting uh, before eight, you know, 8.15 or 8.30, because if I can take my little one to school, it sets the tone for the day and it's much easier for me and I feel less guilty and I feel, you know, then I can really concentrate on my work. And I've had so many, you know, um, physician colleagues say, oh my gosh, I can't do that. That will make me look weak if I ask for that. And that's not true at all. So I think it's really being empowered and figuring out this is what I need to do. But then of course, you've got to follow through and do it and then also do 110% and go beyond. And if, I think if you do that, you really can make it all work. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Dr. Robbins, how do you balance your clinical work and your outside of clinical work? Yeah, that is starting to be out. I, I, I want to be honest, that's starting to become an issue. Um, trying to figure that out because being full-time family medicine and trying to also be responsive with patients, um, my boss, and then also to have a lot of other projects outside of medicine going on, it can be a lot. Uh, so for me, I've actually also have had a, a coach to kind of help me figure out how to best do that and how to balance my lifestyle and all of the things that I love to do um, that are work. It just depends on if it's work that I like to do or work that I don't like to do. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm actually considering um, going part time. And so that would allow me to have more time to be able to balance things to help even women in white coats grow, um, my, doing more media, all those type of things that I'm also passionate about, as well as seeing patients. Because I think for me, if I have a balance of both of those things, and that gets me to my happy place. But if one of them is lacking, then I start getting like stir crazy, like COVID stir crazy. So, um, so I'm, I'm working on that. But right now, what I do is I wake up early. I wake up at like 5.30, 5 o'clock every morning. And I try to do some work before work 
um, outside of my clinical work. So non-clinical work before I even go to work. And then I go to work from eight to five and I'm out by five. Everybody knows that who works with me. I am out by five. If you keep me at 501, we have a problem. <laughs> so I try, to, I try to wrap up at five. And then I come home and then I, I start back on um, my non-clinical work. I still go to bed at 1030. I still am able to do uh, fun things. I section off time, but it's all about, you know, I have this goal. I know I need these certain benchmarks to meet it. And then I just go ahead and, you know, meet those marks and then move on to the next thing. Um, but yeah, the balance is hard. And especially if you're trying to incorporate more people in your life. For me, I'm having a life transition where I'm about to get married. So that was also something that came in part of me trying to figure out, okay, I know I'm already busy, so what can I do to take something off my plate? So part-time it is. So um, it, it changes depending on where you are in your life. Well, it's wonderful that you can, you can sort of toe that line and, and figure out when it is that you need to let something go and you know, redirect your energy to the things that you're passionate about. Um, and I also love that you're very clear about your boundaries. I think that that's something we could, we could take a note on. We hope you're enjoying this podcast episode. Let's take a quick commercial break. Hi, fellow women in white coats. Are you a physician who is dissatisfied in your current job? Have you been thinking about pivoting and making a career move? Has the pandemic caused you to reevaluate where you are and what you are doing? Wouldn't it be amazing to practice medicine on your own terms so you can be more present for your family? Or maybe you've realized medicine isn't quite so stable and that you need additional sources of income. Since so many doctors are wanting to pivot in their careers right now, we decided to put together a Women in White Coats virtual summit called Women Docs Thinking Outside the Box. You will hear from an amazing lineup of guest experts who are all women docs thinking outside the box, living life and practicing medicine on their own terms. They will share with you their best tips for making a transition into everything from telemedicine and locums to physician leadership, lifestyle medicine, and medical media, we will even have experts talking about how to get started in real estate and stock investing and entrepreneurship. And there's so much more. Our virtual summit is free and runs from August 31st through September 4th. To check out the lineup of speakers and all the topics we will cover, go to womeninwhitecoats.com forward slash virtual summit and get registered today. Um, so there's a couple more questions from the audience that I wanted to pull out. So Dr. Brown, they, uh, the folks want to hear all about your out of the box activities. Can you, can you tell us what you're doing with your time? Yeah, I was sitting here listening to everybody else. I'm like, hmm, I never really actually said what I did. It was like kind of this mystery type of deal. Um, okay. So I will say this, I've done several different things and it's been a, it, 2019 was a great year for me. Um, so I told you guys that basically I kind of came to this thought after I finished residency, which was 2018, like, what am I going to do? 
So I actually started working with a media coach, which so happens to be Dr. Amber Robbins. Um, when I first finished residency, and I kind of told her some of these things, like, I just feel like I want to, you know, I don't know, I just need something else to do. So towards the end of residency, I actually got an opportunity to be on a local news. They interviewed me um, for something. I don't even remember what it was. And I really enjoyed doing that. So I started to realize, like, well, maybe I should polish up my, my speaking skills. So I started working with Amber as a media coach, and she kind of started launching me, like, as far as, okay, let's get a website together. Why don't you start writing, pitching yourself to local news? Um, and it kind of sped up after that. So right when I was finishing residency as well, my brother asked me, do you want to be on TV with me? I'm like, uh, yeah, I want to be on TV with you. Long story short, we were on House Hunters together. Um, then last year, I wrote my first book on my own. It's called What's a, um, It's an Emergency, Understanding the What, How, and Why of Your ER Visit. And that's a book I started kind of bouncing off with, um, with Amber because I realized that lots of times when people come into the emergency um, department, they're very scared, nervous. It's their worst day of their life. And I think because there's so much unknown about what's happening to them and then what's happening behind the scenes, the doctor kind of pops in and pops out, you know, the nurse pops in, pops out, and then you're just kind of sitting there waiting for something to happen. So I figured that if, as me as a physician could write a letter or write a, a book really quick and simple for patients to read, then that would be easy for them to kind of understand what we do behind the scenes to help them. So I wrote and launched that book. Um, then I got a call um, from a friend that asked me if I was interested in filming untold stories of the ER. So I, what I didn't say was, is I went to Ross University School of Medicine, which when I was there, it was located in Dominica, but now it's in Barbados. And so when I was on the island as a medical student, I used to watch untold stories of the ER on Saturday night because I knew I wanted to be ER doctor. And I would try to guess like what was going on with the patients, like, you know, depending on whatever we had learned. And, and I usually would get it right. I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool that this patient actually had that. And I was like, man, I want to be on that show one day. I want to I be on that show. And sure enough, I ended up meeting a couple of people who were on the show and they say, hey, they're casting again. Do you want to do you want to pitch? And so I pitched a couple of stories and they took the second story and they flew me to Toronto, Canada. It made me feel like a, a movie star. And that was really fun. So I was on Untold Stories of the ER last year. Um, and so lots of TV, <laughs> lots of TV that I did last year. So starting this year, um, I ended up meeting Dr. Nina Loom, who is also um, one of the original authors of the Chronicles of Women in White Coats when I went to the conference last year and uh, found out that we both went to medical school in the Caribbean. And we decided to get together and write a book together called Still MD, which is basically um, for people who are considering going to international medical schools or Caribbean schools and kind of documenting our journey and giving advice along the way. Um, a lot of times we've learned that um, students that go to Caribbean medical schools or international medical schools aren't as supported and don't have the mentorship and leadership and guidance that they need. So um, we decided to kind of stand up and be that voice and, and Dr. Nina is already coaching IMGs. And so I kind of just jumped on her bandwagon and told my story from a US standpoint, US student. Um, because she is um, from Cameroon originally. So 
Um, so that's the second book that I wrote. So two books, TV, and then with COVID-19 right now, there's been a lot of local um, news that's been reaching out to me to speak on air about um, what's been going on. So that's kind of what I do have done outside of the box. So written a couple of books, been on TV a few times, um, and really have some other things that I'm thinking about doing in the background as well. So um, that has been, been my real passion um, these last few months, two years outside of residency since 2018. That's amazing. And I, to tell you, there's a bunch of comments over here about how understated you are. I'm, stop I'm stop selling there's yourself like 30, short. There's stop, like stop. 31 comments. Holy, holy God. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want the Cliff's Notes version. We want the full version. Yeah, this is so not cool, Dr. Brown. You're like holding back on a women in white coat panel. You're the opposite of what we're supposed to do. You're like the poster style. <laughs> You're amazing. Um, well, no, I'm I'm in awe of each of you guys um, because I was gonna say the the next thing that I'm I'm really tackling is I would love to well I already work for tele, do some telemedicine work on the side, um, but I am seeing of course with COVID nineteen I hate to say the word but COVID nineteen there's been so much more foray into telemedicine and so what that looks like for underserved communities communities of color, immigrant communities who already have no access or low access to physicians, what a telemedicine space to look like for them. So I, I say that because I'm super impressed by you guys, Gita. That's amazing that you are a CMO and, and thinking outside of the box. And Dr. Mason, I'm, I love the mini medical school idea. Since living um, here in Memphis, there's so many um, students who just don't have access because of the school system or whatever. So it will be amazing to see what a mini medical school here in Memphis would do. So I'm amazed by you guys. I'm just Absolutely. like, well, I'll just show up on TV. You know what? I, we actually have one there that's based out of South Haven, um, Mississippi. Okay. And it, well, and it's really funny because even, you know, that concept, um, you know, when it, I started in residency because I was trying to figure out community service. Um, and I was a chief resident um, at WashU in St. Louis, and I had all these residents who were so burned out and so I was trying to connect them with the community and you know honestly I it was just this very simple idea of um, doing role-playing and doing um, storyboarding and you know giving kids white coats and stethoscopes and you know having them take the little medical school oath which was like a grad you know like the Hippocratic oath and you know getting a diploma and I just played around with it for a long time until someone just you know in 2010 said you know what I'm, no one else is doing this. And so, um, you know, and then I realized there was people all over the country, a lot of physicians. Um, we have several physicians um, who are now franchise owners, nurses. Um, we have a lot of education, small business owners who have come in. And we basically have now probably over 450 hours of curriculum. We do after school programs, summer camps, birthday parties, um, Girl Scouts. Um, you know, all sorts of things. But the coolest thing that has happened is I have a lot of physicians who are, you know, kind of reaching that burnout stage where they want to still see patients once a week or twice a week, but they also want to go and teach. And also we have a lot of instructors that are pre-med or, um, you know, people in college and grad school. So then it also gives you the opportunity to become a mentor 
as well to these instructors. So it's this really great win-win. And then I take the profits and put it in a foundation um, that's named after my mother, who was a pediatrician who inspired this all. Um, and we then go into underserved communities and do this because I think if you can get to kids young in grade school and tell them you can do this, you know, and, and you inspire them, it really can change a lot, especially in these underserved communities. You know, a lot of kids are just told you can't do it. And so we're all about that. And I, I think especially when you have a physician in charge of, of the local franchise, it just gives you an opportunity to become such a role model and it's so rewarding and and so that's what i love about it and i still teach i i, I love to go teach i think it's the best thing ever and we've been doing online classes now um nationally because of the um COVID crisis and um it, it works that way too and so you know a lot of it's just been really i think something i never thought would get as big as it has but it's really um been great to bring, meet so many other women physicians who have the same mission. That is so awesome. And you you actually addressed one of the questions that was in the Q&A. Folks wanted to know how, you know, you're managing these, these mini medical schools and, and who is involved in being a franchisee. So if someone wanted to do that, would they just contact you? Yeah, if you go on our website, we have lots of information. And, you know, I think the scariest thing about business, especially when, you know, because most physicians are employed. So you've never really been in a business situation. So what I did is I took all this information and all these resources and we put them together so somebody could run, open up um, their own business you know, using all of our um, resources and tools. And we've made it very simple. And we do you know, a three-day training. And um, it's like I said, it's a, it's a way to really do something with your medical degree. Um, and to really, I mean, think of the, you're influencing the next generation of physicians and nurses and healthcare heroes, which, um, you know, is really very rewarding. That's awesome. Um, everybody's asking for the website. So if you don't uh, know, littlemedicalschool.com. And we have lots of areas still open. It's been very interesting. We've had a lot of international and it's, um, it's a lot of, we've been growing there, but we still have a lot of areas open in the US and we would love, I'd love when women physicians, um, you know, come in and do this because they're, you know, they're passionate and, you know, it gives them an opportunity to be a great role model in their, um, in their, lo in their local community. All right, can I just make a comment? You know, I think that the, not to derail this to talk about the pandemic, I know we're all exhausted from talking about it, but you know, it's so, important that this has just shown the frailty of the healthcare infrastructure that we have right across the country and as usual the communities that get hit the worst are underserved um, populations of color you know just all of this i know you guys know but um i think we have something here on this panel and we should really talk offline about things we can do because this whole concept of a little medical school i mean that's brilliant right now when we talk about workforce shortages i mean after this pandemic mm -hmm. it's going to be this is bad. So many people have died. So many people are going to leave the profession. So many people have retired because of this. So this is a really critical time right now, I think, to be a doctor and to be in a position where we could actually contribute. Mm -hmm. I think collectively, and as I think about, you know, what um, Women in White Coats is doing, I think it's phenomenal. I think as women, we, we really should talk about maybe some things we can do as, as a project or something out of this, because I would, I would love, I, all of you are really inspiring. And I just, this is, 
this pandemic has, I think, moved so many of us to really question, what am I doing in healthcare and what could I do better? Because this is beyond just one doc and one hospital, right? So it's so massive. So sorry to be on my soapbox, but I just wanted to put it out there. <laughs> I think that the, it's, it's uh, panels like this, it's, it's opportunities like this conference that allow us to connect and network and think about how to move forward with the things that we're struggling. So I think that you're absolutely right, Dr. Nair. This is a great opportunity for us to, to generate some momentum to do something um, positive to respond to this pandemic. Um, I'm mindful of time because we've got about 15 minutes left. And, and so I want to um, ask each of you to share some advice for folks who are listening, who might be interested in doing things outside the box, but maybe, be, maybe are fearful or anxious about taking that next step. So um, why don't we start with uh, Dr. Robbins? Sure. So that is, I love that. So to bring it kind of even back to women in white coats. So the whole thing, good morning. The whole thing was with this is that it all began with me having quiet time with myself um, to come up with a book project. And then Archon and I came up with women in white coats. So all, so sometimes it's just a little small idea that you don't necessarily think would be something other people would want. And then you get surprised when you have conferences, when you have panels like this, how much that need is there. So if there's something that's in your heart that you want to do, just do it. You know, life is too short. We've seen even with the pandemic, I, if there's something you want to do, just do it now. It doesn't have to be perfect. God knows, even with everything that we do with women in white coats, when I see patients, it's not perfect, but there's some value that other people can find in it, that other people need. So my encouragement to you is get off your butt and do it. If you need help, we can do it as a group, but our goal is to have you burn bright. And so our hope is that this will be the, this will be the light for you actually to go out and do what you really want to do that will then pour back into you. Thank you so much. It's almost like a Nike ad, just do it. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. All right. Dr. Nayar, tell us what you think. So it's not going to be that different from, from Dr. Robbins. I, I think that um, I'm going to tailor it to women and physicians. So first of all, I'm going to plug Dr. Brown's book because she did not do a good job of doing it. So emergency, the what, why, and how of, to go to an ER visit the this chat is long. I can't find it now. But the book is called Emergency by Dr. Kimberly Brown. So number one, support each other, right? So oh, I, I say that and I do that, right? Um, if you are struggling with making this move, I think surround yourself with people who've made the move. Like I mentioned kind of earlier, I didn't use the word mentor, but that's what I mean. So mentors, pay it forward. I think that you, you know, I like to believe that leaders take people with them, right? So if you find yourself a leader or a mentor, go with them, even if you don't know, and this is the hardest part I think for physicians, it's not perfect. It's never gonna be perfect. Life is messy medicine is messy. I mean, look at this pandemic. Again, this is such a humbling time. So do not wait for perfection. You will never make a move. I, I think so much, so many of us are, are perfectionists. And I would say that my journey did not have to take as long as it did because I was always striving for perfection. And then I finally got to a point where 
someone actually said this to me. They said, you got to bloody your nose. You got to get in the fight and you're going to get hurt and knocked down. And to be the champion, you don't, you don't go out of the gate being a champion, right? You got to go and screw up, you know? And for those of us that are moms, I mean, this is what I tell my daughter, just do it. Just try. Right. Um, the other thing I would say is don't be understated. Just don't, you got to have the confidence to take the risk. And you know, that in itself is bold, right? You, you may not get it right. Um, I don't think anyone here would say that they're at the end of their journey or that they've reached perfection and that, and that there is no roadmap. My God, my parents, I have two, my parents are South Asian parents. Archana, I know you feel me right now. My parents could not be more disappointed with me. They are always like, when are you gonna cut the crap, come home and take over the practice? Like, what is it that you do? I was the CMIO for AT&T like in my early 30s, and my dad literally called me, it was kind of a big press announcement, it was like the youngest, blah, 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 it was this big deal. My dad called me and said, let me understand something. We paid for medical school so that you could work for the phone company? Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, what is this? He's like, I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> so it's just, I, so I just mean to say, and you'll get all kinds of opinions, families and otherwise, but you gotta do what you love, and I think you go all in, I'm an all-in or all-out person. I, I don't like to do things halfway, but I, I think you just—I think you just go for it. You just go for it, and we're all here to help you as well uh, on the journey. I think the women in white coats concept is beautiful. Hats off to Amber and Archana for starting this, but I think we as a community should also lift each other and, and help you. So I'm happy to be a mentor to anyone who's looking for someone, um, and and I really mean it. I, I believe in paying it forward, and I think we we should all be thinking of um, how we can help each other just generally. I love that. And I think piggybacking off of what Dr. Nayar said is you need a combination of guides. You need mentors. You also need coaches and you need sponsors because each of those three things does very different things for your career. A mentor is someone with whom you're going to have a close personal relationship. A coach is someone who takes a mirror and, and points it back at you and reminds you what you already know about the steps to take. And then a sponsor creates opportunities for you. They advocate for you and they put you up on a pedestal and they give you opportunities. So having those, <laughs> Kelly wants me to repeat it. Okay, so you need a mentor, you need a sponsor, and you need coach, okay? And the other thing is there's a lot of comments going on in the um, side panel about not having enough mentors in medicine. I have to tell you, one of my best mentors is not a physician. One of my best mentors is actually, she's got a PhD in education and she does um, like business consulting. She's been more impactful for my career than any of my other mentors. Um, but the, as I said, the mentor is the one with whom you have a personal close con uh, relationship. The sponsor creates opportunities for you and basically um, puts their neck out for you. Um, and then your coach just reflects back to you what you already know about yourself. Um, all right, so let's hear from Dr. Mason next. You know, I'm so glad you said that about a mentor. I mean, actually, you're right. Some of my, um, my best mentors um, have been, you know, outside of medicine and taking the lessons that they have and bring into what you're doing, you know, it really does give you a very different perspective. Um, the one thing I would say is, you know, be brave. And I also think it's very important to write out a timeline for yourself. So I just had my 25th medical school reunion. 
And I kind of, every year I kind of take this in five year blocks where it's like, where do I want to be at 30 years? Where do I, you know, where did I want to be at 10 years? And I think sometimes you write these things down and they seem at the time, they look a little crazy and you're like, oh, I can't do that. But I think when you get, it, it's so important because we are so, all of us are so busy and we've got, you know, family obligations, we have our work obligations and, and, and sometimes we forget about ourselves and what we want our goals to be. So write it down and look at it and then keep coming back to it. And sometimes you actually are surprised how much you can achieve. And I mean, the best part is when you get to two years out and you're like, oh my gosh, I already got to where I wanted to be. Now I can add some more things in. But yeah, paper, I think pen and paper, I'm old fashioned, but when you write it down, you can really commit to it. And, and I can't wait to see the journal that you're sending out because I bet there's a place to, to put those goals in there. All right, Dr. Brown, bring it home. What advice do you have for folks? Well, I think you, I was going to say that was like the perfect sermon for those of us who are Christian. It was like a three point, you know, mentor, sponsor, coach. I was like, well, I feel delivered after that. Hallelujah. <laughs> um, I would say this. This is what something I have learned over the last few years, which is do it scared. Um, it doesn't matter how you feel. Just do it even in the midst of fear. And sometimes um, you can be so paralyzed with fear and who am I to write a book? Uh, and I just got out of residency like five minutes ago. Who am I to be on TV and speaking as an authority figure when I just started practicing independently a few months ago? So those are all thoughts that are still going on in your head. But what you have to do is learn how to push past them. And I think having a mentor and having a coach to do that um, is really, really helpful um, but more specifically, you just have to keep doing it, no matter if you're scared, no matter how you feel or what's going on, because there's a reason why the idea has been placed inside of you. You have to do whatever you're doing out of the box because somebody needs what you're about to offer into the world. So um, that is one thing that I really learned how to, to um, implement in my life is just pushing past fear um, and, and un, un, uncertainty and, and well, how is this all going to work and da, da, da. Well, you know, you just have to start taking the first step and the second step and the third step. And if there's a roadblock, there's a lot of things that you can ask someone, you can Google it, you can kind of figure it out along the way. And then all of a sudden you'll have a finished product about, you know, what you're trying to do. So no matter what though, if, if you're going to let fear paralyze you, you won't ever get to that goal. So again, just learning how to push past fear and doing it scared is the, the biggest thing that I recommend someone learn how to do. I love it. I love it. Thank you all so much for your words of wisdom. And I think what I would add to that last comment about fear, when you get to the edge of discomfort, that is where growth happens. You cannot grow you cannot change, you cannot develop professionally and personally unless you're uncomfortable. If you're perfectly comfortable, there's nothing gonna happen. Nothing's gonna happen. Um, so thank you all so very much. And um, there's a ton of great conversations going on in the chat window. Um, I think it would be probably great for us to collate these comments because I wasn't able to get to everybody's questions. Um, 
But I thank you so very much for sharing this time with us. And I look forward to seeing what you do next. Thank you so much, Kat. That was great. Thank you, everyone. That was a great panel. And just to direct you to what's coming next, um, uh, we have Shane, who is a financial planner. He'll be talking to you about finances. And then right after that, we'll have another panel discussion um, on leadership and seeking promotion. And so what I would want you to do for both of those, when you go to the actual portal for the conference, press the down arrow and then just click the button if you do not see the video pop up, okay? All right, well, thank you so much again. Thank you, everybody. Bye, so everyone. nice meeting you guys. Thank you Great so much. Hi there, Women Docs. We hope you've been loving this podcast and feel uplifted at the end of each and every episode. If so, we would really appreciate it if you could give us a five-star rating and write us a positive review. Those reviews help us get the word out and help uplift and empower more women doctors. But you know what? We'd love to meet up with you in person. So head on over to womeninwhitecoats.com and sign up to become a member of our supportive tribe. When you do, you will be the first to hear about meetups in your area, as well as upcoming live events. You'll also get our latest blog articles and podcasts delivered straight to your inbox. And you'll be the first to find out about the next time we open up our virtual Doctors Lounge, an online membership community created just for women doctors, where each month we run masterclasses with guest experts and masterminds on topics relevant to women doctors. While you're on our website, womeninwhitecoats.com, order your copy of our number one best-selling book, The Chronicles of Women in White Coats. Oh, and be sure to follow us on social media too. On Instagram, you'll find us at Women in White Coats blog. And on Facebook, you can find us at Women in White Coats. Can't wait to meet up soon.